Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Race, your host. And if you are one that uh, loves storytelling and loves uh, a good story uh, and loves adventure, well, you've come to the right place. Today's episode and today's podcast is going to be with the creator of Merry Beggars, which have produced these exciting uh, audio series on, on different topics. And at the moment, there is a famous series on the saints, which is featuring on relevant radio. And uh, I've had the privilege to be listening to it uh, with my family. And you're going to love it. Wait till we unpack what is this exciting uh, ministry and apostolate. The founder is none other than Peter Atkinson. And he joins me from the United States now. Hello, Peter. How are you doing? Hello, Sherbel. Hello, Australia. It is good. It's good to talk with you. Yes, uh, welcome. Uh, uh, it, it's great uh, to learn about your apostolate. It is fantastic. Uh, Mary Beggars, um, I, I can't wait to dive in here, but very quickly, just for those who, who've just never heard of Mary Beggars, uh, just in a snapshot, what, what is Mary Beggars? Yeah, so the Mary Beggars is the entertainment division of Relevant Radio. We produce original audio entertainment for the whole family. Um, in a culture which is trying to undermine the faith in every family around the world. We're an antidote towards that, helping parents and families have stories and form imaginations and hearts uh, that go towards adventure, courage, and, and fall in love with God. That's the purpose of what we're doing, and that shows up by doing productions like A Christmas Carol, uh, or on the night train, or the Saints, which is you know the most explicitly Catholic Christian series we're doing. Um, but the whole point is, uh, God needs us to tell His story, and His stories are told through the lives of the saints. So we're trying to bring those stories to families around the world. Yeah, awesome. I'm absolutely loving it. By the way, uh, we completed St. Patrick. Uh, my children love it, Good. and and I have to say, like as an adult, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, and, and the older kids, as much as the younger kids, are, are loving it. So it's something the whole family can really listen to. So uh, no, congratulations on that. That was, our, that was our plan from the beginning of how do you tell a story where it's accessible by a 7-year-old, by a 6-year-old, by a 9-year-old, but then a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old can listen to it, recognize the production quality, recognize the, the quality of the acting, and get excited by it. Um, my 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 sense is that we've hit a certain, you know, we, we've sort of done that with the Saint series, but then I'm always looking on ways to improve it as well. Awesome. And, and just so people know, we are specifically focusing on audio. These are audio um, stories with uh, sound effects and characters and, and, and it's dramatized. It's fantastic. Exactly. So, and one of the advantages of doing uh, audio specifically is we are able to produce hundreds of stories for less than one one hundredth of the cost of an independent film. So an independent film, in terms of its life cycle, it spends a couple of years in development, developing the story, forming relationships with producers. Then you spend a year or two fundraising. Then you spend like 30 days filming. And then you spend a year editing or half a year editing. And then it gets seen by maybe a couple of thousand people. But if you hit it really big, you might get seen by like, like maybe a couple of 10,000 people. Um, and that's one story. What I love about audio is between from last September through next June, we will be releasing uh, about 165 episodes, working with between 300 and 400 actors, eight plus sound designers. I think we're working with four or five directors at this point. And I think we have around eight 
or nine writers working on different series. And we're doing all of that for less than a fra- like a, just a fraction of the cost of an independent film. And the beautiful thing about that is not only are we able to tell a lot of stories, but families are forming a habit of every single day as a family discovering part of the faith. And it's as easy as hating play. Like that's, that's the beauty of audio is we're able to reach a, a, a vast audience every single day with stories that, you know, if you made them into films would require hundreds of millions of dollars. Wow. That's great. I've never thought of it that way. You've just sort of uh, summarized that in a, in a powerful way. I didn't realize how big uh, the productions were. So that's amazing. <laughs> well, we, oh, wow. we warmed ourselves up to it when the Mary Beggars started. Well, when the Mary Beggars really, really started doing audio was in 2020. Um, COVID had just shut down all of our other operations. I needed to figure out if we were just going to shut down the nonprofit, which is doing sort of, um, and we can talk about this too. It was doing sort of like in-person events and whatnot. And instead I pivoted to doing audio. And our first, our first audio project was me in a room in my parents' house, uh, recording actors remotely and stitching it together. And then the next one was a little bit more ambitious of a couple of people in the studio together. And then the next one was even more ambitious of, recording for 10 hours a day for six weeks with 40 actors and then this one is the most ambitious thing we've done yet so i at some point i need to say okay that this is enough we can sort of plateau here because otherwise you know we'll be like thousands of actors which is just insane so and and, yeah. and praise god we we pulled it off so far so um the saints has been recorded very well the we're still recording more and more every month and uh, by the grace of God, the right people have come onto the project and just brought a, a huge level of experience in the entertainment industry to help lift this off the ground. That is awesome. Now, I hope uh, you're going to keep going with the saints. Like, are you just, is it, just keep rolling out different stories of different saints? That's the hope. So we have 33 series planned through June of next year. Um, what we're working on right now is getting the word out to as many people as possible to grow our audience um, and then at some point to invite people to become donors and to support this work, we give all of this away completely for free. And there's two reasons for that. One is um, Jesus says, freely have you received, freely shall you give. So our whole idea is these aren't our stories. We don't want to gate these. Um, you know, if, if you're middle class or upper middle class, then you can hear the story of the saints. It's like, no, we want to give these away to everyone. Um, and then the other reason is that so far God has... God has made this possible. Um, and so we don't want to, we don't want to start second guessing him. People have stepped up to donate. The Mary Beggars started itself because of one person's donation who uh, believed in my vision back in 2017 in Ave Maria, Florida. And, uh, you know, every step of the way, when we, when we say to our audience, we need your support to, to help bring these stories, people step forward. So, if if you know if that continues happening, if we're able to continue this ministry, continue these productions, then our plan is not only to do more saint stories, but lots of more fun things that we have planned. Yeah, praise God. Awesome. Now let's talk a little bit about yourself, um, uh, Peter. You're you're originally from Canada, is that right? And grew That's up right. in Washington D.C. Um, and now right. live in Chicago. So tell us how did all that happen? And and I do understand. Is there some link? To World Youth Day Sydney, do we have some link? Some is it your 
So you have to touch a, on all this. A, there's a thread of a link through my father. So my father, um, yes, uh, we were born in Canada, fellow fellow members of the Commonwealth, and my dad was an Anglican priest. He um, wow. he was in Canada as an Anglican priest, and my mom and he had five children. At that point, I'm the sixth. Uh, and uh, right between the fifth and the sixth, they were both discerning. It became very, very clear to them that there were issues in the Anglican church that could not be answered without an argument from authority. And the Anglican church did not have the authority, did not want to claim that authority, and um, and didn't have the, the solid foundation underneath its feet that the Catholic church does um, as the church founded by Jesus Christ, which is pretty solid foundation. Like that's, that's something you can, you know, rest your feet on. Um, and then I remember my mom wrote a letter to one of the, she'll probably be embarrassed of me saying this, but she wrote a letter to one of the bishops in, in the Anglican hierarchy asking, what is your teaching on contraception? What is your teaching on abortion? What is your teaching on, I, I think it was those two things, maybe something else because she was searching for clarity and for truth. And the bishop wrote back, I think it was a bishop, uh, they wrote back and said, basically, discern, use your conscience, discern, which is, you know, not a great answer. Uh, And so that was a step in my mom and dad's journey of realizing that the deposit of faith, the foundation was in the Catholic Church. So my dad's an Anglican priest. He ends up being out of a job because generally they like the Anglican Church uh, clergy to still be Anglican. Uh, and so he was just unemployed for a bit, doing odd jobs, carpentry on this island in Canada called Grand Manana Island. Uh, and he ended up uh, doing graduate school at the John Paul II Institute in Washington, D.C. Uh, and because of that, my whole family moved to the United States. This is back in 1993 or four. Um, I was a, a wee babe in arms. And so I grew up in Washington, D.C., surrounded by this like really thick Catholic academic ethos, which is fantastic. And um, because of that, because of my parents discerning to the Catholic Church, because of my dad studying at JP2 Institute, I end up growing up with this amazing community of homeschool families in Washington, D.C., Catholic homeschoolers. I'm pretty sure last count, about nine of my friends are priests, and I'm sure there's a smattering of nuns. Like It was just really fruitful stable, healthy, sane uh, Catholic homeschooling community. So I end up going to Ave Maria University. No, it's a huge blessing. I, uh, my brother's a monk too, to throw that in too. So (laughs) a lot of, a lot of fruitfulness. I end up going down to Ave Maria University, studying classics uh, there. I had the idea of doing entertainment in as sort of a career was the furthest thing from my mind. My dad is a theologian. I thought I was going to become an academic. Um, that's sort of what my professors were telling me. And then senior year, I had done a bunch of Shakespeare in my undergrad senior year. Someone says, uh, you know, some of you will go on to become priests, businessmen, professors, entertainers, so on and so forth. And she referenced my performance as bottom in midsummer night's dream that I had done that year. And it sort of hit me. I was like, wait a second, that was an option. Like I thought, (laughs) I thought respectable people weren't entertainers, right? Like you had to, you had to take a real job. And I kid you not, like that one, it was, it was Julie Cawson was the administrator of it who said that. That one phrase of that path was opened up to me literally just sparked something in me that, that opened up a floodgate that had been in me before. So I had done 11 years of theater growing up. I had done Shakespeare in college. It was always the thing, performing, entertaining, 
was always the thing that brought me the most life that allowed me to give the greatest gift to other people. Like I just absolutely loved it. Long story short, I end up founding a Shakespeare study program at a local high school, studying Shakespeare in Massachusetts, then in London, and then going to grad school at Columbia University and getting my MFA and acting there. I end up doing some fun things, starring off Broadway, doing some great acting, acting work there. And while I was in Columbia University, I was founding what would become the Merry Beggars. It was just a small nonprofit that I was creating. I was working outside of classes, waking up early, going to bed late. Um, and without God's providence, it totally would have died. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. We were doing sort of an in-person conference in New York City. It was going to be this this huge hullabaloo to get high school teachers in, train. It was a, it was a whole thing. COVID shut it down completely. And so I started doing these audio productions. And these audio productions, I had grown up listening to old radio theater. I had absolutely loved it. So it was sort of a natural pivot to go from doing acting theater to producing audio drama and radio theater. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of little providential moments in there that I, I won't bore you with. But needless to say, God was sort of guiding us. Uh, my wife That's and I get amazing. married in 2020. Um, and at that point, all of theater across the entire United States, the career that I had just spent a bunch of money on training in and a lot of my years uh, training in is completely shut down, right? Uh, people complain in the United States, complain about graduating into like the 2008 recession economy. This is like graduating into the bubonic plague. Like there's just nothing. Um, so we're doing audio dramas. There's no money in it. I, I can't raise a family on it. Early 2021, my wife, Naomi, and I sit down and we're sort of considering things, weighing things and figuring out, we want to have as many children as God sees fit to send us. We want to have a big Catholic family, you know, God willing. And there's just no way that the Mary Beggars in its current state is going to be able to support that. And like every Catholic dad listening, you have to support your family. You know, you like push comes to shove, you're going to do what it takes to support your family. And so I was... I was saying, okay, should I give up on the Mary Beggars? Should I stop doing this? And Naomi, my wife, to her credit, she said, no, let's give it a year. Let's consecrate it to St. Joseph and see what happens. Well, we consecrated to St. Joseph. It, that was in January. In February, and any American listener uh, will know, in February, there is uh, the Super Bowl, right? Which is football, um, not soccer. Yes. It's football, American right. football. <laughs> Um, I don't care about sports generally as a rule, uh, but my wife does. So I thought we need to go watch the Super Bowl. So I call up one of my friends in DC and say, Hey, where are you going to watch the Super Bowl? Invite me. Not, you know, not a very polite thing to do, but he's a good friend. And, and he did invite me. We went to this lawyer's house. Um, and this lawyer was a pro-life lawyer in Washington, DC, sort of a mover and shaker, uh, really fun evening. They end up being really interested in the Mary Beggars. And so I tell them a lot about it. I think nothing more of it. Great, great evening, lovely party. We had a wonderful time. Go back home. Well, unbeknownst to me, in 2020, Relevant Radio, who I was not involved with at, in any way at that point, Relevant Radio was in a bit of a pickle. They were getting ads for pro-abortion politicians on their network because by FCC regulation, FCC is the American uh, Federal Communications Commission, you have to accept ads from any political candidate. And so they were having to accept ads automatically. No, there's no human intervention. 
they wow. were having ads on the network by this, you know, by some pro-abortion politicians, which if you know anything about Relevant Radio, Relevant Radio is, is the most pro-life organization outside of like a pregnancy clinic or something. Like it's just, we literally have a memorari meter praying for an end to abortion on our homepage. Like pro-life is who we are. So this was a huge crisis. Father Rocky um, thought about it and he decided it would be better to just tank the whole business and not compromise on mission on the pro-life issue than to compromise and say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's federal law. It's maybe remote material cooperation, not foreign. Yeah. So like you can come up with some moral feel, like I'm sure there's some rationalization if you want it. He, as he told me, he said, well, needless to say, relevant radio went from a commercial station, which has to accept all ads from political candidates to a non-commercial station overnight. And the way they did that was they called a lawyer who had connections in Washington, D.C., and who was able to fast track that transition. And it could have tanked the entire network uh, because a huge portion of the revenue was from commercials and, and whatnot. And just mm. switching business models overnight is generally not a good business practice. Um, they ended up actually raising more money because people saw them taking a stand for for life in a way that put their entire work at risk, which to me is like just an unbelievable mark of integrity and credibility. Well, it turns out the lawyer that they had called was the same lawyer that I went to for a Super Bowl party. And because huh. of that one connection, he ends up putting me in touch with Father Rocky. And at the end of the first phone call with Father Rocky, Father Rocky says, you need to come work for me. And so now I'm working for him in Chicago. And now the Mary Beggars went from me and my parents' home trying to produce some audio dramas that would get maybe a couple of thousand lessons to to getting millions of downloads and reaching hundreds and thousands of families. And the beautiful thing about that story is uh, it's so evident that God coordinated this because it was in no one's mind. No one was thinking like, oh, let's get the Mary Bakers and Nelson Rated together. That wasn't that was on no one's radar. Um, and then it's it's so beautiful. I, I just see, I, I love unpacking the hand of Providence because my wife's, con, you know, motion to, for that we should consecrate this to St. Joseph, that we should give it a year. And if God wants this ministry to flourish, then God will help it flourish. Consecrate it to St. Joseph. That act of faith in, you know, in a dark closet where we couldn't see what that would affect, combined with Father Rocky's leadership at Relevant Radio to just say, you know what? this is worth it. We're going to take a leap of faith and cut our legs out from under ourselves. Those two acts of faith together allowed Providence to, to bring the Mary beggars to where it is now, which is millions of downloads and hundreds of thousands of families. And, you know, hopefully God willing impacting the culture for Christ. I know that's Christ a long God. story, but it's just such a, it's such an incredible thread of how God uses us despite our sinfulness and brokenness for his glory. Amen. Well, thank you. You gave us a, yeah, like a, an express version of everything. And now, now we've got that snapshot. <laughs> now I've got so many little points here. I have to dive in. I, there's a couple of things, um, uh, quite a few things, but I just wanted to go back to first and foremost. So mum and dad, Catholic, they've had you, you, they were, you were born a little baby. Um, you moved to America. How many children are there in the family? Six. Six kids. Six kids. 
Wow. And uh, they uh, became Catholic, left the Anglican Church, joined the Catholic yeah. Church. Did he uh, have the option of becoming a Catholic priest? I know that's common in, uh, in sometimes in those conversions. He did. He, um, I asked him about that, and he, he just said he didn't feel called to it. Um, okay. So my, my dad, uh, his name is Dr. Joseph Atkinson. I'll give him a plug here, Dr. Joseph Atkinson. <laughs> uh, he, um, he is an academic and an intellectual. So he's an Old Testament theologian. If you find him, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, he'll either be translating ancient Jewish uh, water purification rituals or reading an Agatha Christie murder mystery, one of the two. Um, and so he just, he, I think, felt very called to teaching and education and study. And and that's where his his life's work has been on the family covenant and on the theology of the family, which is obviously very, very much needed. And he actually, it's funny, he said to me, he said um, that he thought that what I was doing with the Mary Beggars was sort of a practical extension of his work in the theology of the family, which I thought was really, really beautiful. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, so, it's, so he's obviously very active. Um, and does he have an, so people can find him. Are you saying he's online as well to want to know about his story? I think so, I, but he is also <laughs> such an academic that I think his website hasn't been updated for many years. But you can, um, he teaches at the GP2 Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family, and he has Washington. a book published on, yeah, in Washington, D.C., um, and he has a book published on the, uh, on the theology of the family. Yeah, as fantastic. Well. So if you look Paul, at look Dr. Out. Joseph Atkinson, you'll find I'm have to hear his story one day, but... Uh, and then homeschooling. Uh, I, I myself homeschool my children. Um, awesome. We've got nine ourselves, and, and, we, and we found what helps is having a network of homeschoolers. So, yes. you know, that, that really helps uh, the parents as well as the children uh, with the social element. Um, so just look at, looking back on that and the impact that's had for you and the opportunities it's created uh, sounds yeah, are you thinking now as a parent? You, you've got a little one, is that right? A little child. We, so we have we have a little a little whirlwind, a little terror, and one on the way due in April. So your listeners, praise God. Up. Yeah, we'll be praying for it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you, you continue that family tradition. You're thinking of homeschooling uh, your wife and 100%. yourself, or yeah. So 100. Yeah. percent It's it's funny. My um, early on in marriage, I think our first year, my wife she was teaching fourth grade at a Catholic school. And I was working on the Mary Beggars and she sits, she, you know, we're, we're in her bedroom and she sort of looks at me and she wants to have this serious conversation. And she says, you know, Peter, I want to ask you something. And I was like, oh, okay, what is it? Um, and she said, she was, was sort of nervous. And she said, um, I, I, I wonder if you would maybe be open to me staying home and homeschooling the kids. And my reaction immediately was like, yeah, of course, that's what I want too. Um, but <laughs> I had been sort of hesitant to say it because I didn't want to put, you know, undue pressure on my wife to, you know, necessarily forego work that she wanted to do, or I don't know if she wanted that, so and so forth. But it was very much on her heart. She has a deep, deep heart for children and for forming other other children and for education and teaching. And, and so that's very much on her heart. And then for me, my experience in homeschooling uh, I mean, on one hand, it's the only thing I've ever known, but on the other hand, I've, I've taught at a private Catholic school and I've known a lot of people who went to public schools and, and whatnot. And um, 
I would, I would not be able to do what I do today if I had been in a public school. And it is a very practical reason for that. Ever since I was a very, very young child, I've had an extremely high level of energy, very, very high level of drive. So I would wake up at 4 a.m., do all of my schoolwork, all of my homework, much to the, you know, I'm sure anxiety and chagrin of my parents. My parents <laughs> would wake up at like 6.37. I would show up, present, them to, present to them all of my work for the day done already. And then I would spend the rest of the day teaching myself stop motion animation or teaching myself, you know, drawing or art or reading or whatever. And looking back on it, it's like, well, that was my, that was so much of my education was self-directed with my parents' guidance and whatnot. And when I was, you know, for anyone who's ever done any animation work, especially stop motion animation, you're spending 10 to 13 hours just like moving tiny objects and taking photos. It's, it's, it makes stamp collecting look thrilling. And while I was doing that, I would listen to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of old radio episodes. And so those two things combined of like nurturing this deep discipline and love for art at the same time as, you know, listening to these old radio shows and just cultivating my imagination. I, I never once when I was homeschooled felt my creative spirit being stifled. Not once. I can't remember a single time that, my parents or my peers shut down my creative spirit never once. And so for me, it was just, you know, there are difficulties along the way as, as there always will be. But for me, it was just so obviously the environment that I needed to flourish. And, and the cool thing is, is all of the work that I'm doing now draws on all the formation I received from, from my parents while homeschooling. That's awesome. That's awesome. Great shout out. And, um, thank you for sharing that. And that's, that's great. It's one of the things, uh, pros and cons and everything. But, uh, in, in, in this regard, I, I love the flexibility and the, the, the way you can tailor make the, the education and, and, and really speed well, things and, up and, and, and focus in on each child. Well, and the other thing I would say, and I'll just, I'll, I'll say this to your listeners is for your listeners who, and, and I realize everyone's situation is different, right? You might not be able to homeschool because of one thing or another, or yeah. some child might have special needs or something that, that needs extra attention. So I, I don't think there is one size fits all for the people who are, who do feel the call to homeschooling or who, who have discerned that just, I, I want to encourage everyone listening or watching because it is such a service to the church, a service to the world, and a service to your children. If you're handing your children over to a public school or to even to a private school, uh, you know, because you never know what's happening inside those walls all the time, you, you're at risk of the culture of your family not making it to your children. You're at risk of the culture and the tradition and the faith of your family having, you know, someone intercept in between you and your children just by the fact that they would be spending, you know, eight, nine, whatever hours with other people who are forming them. Now, God willing, they're amazing people, but for the people who are able to homeschool, it's such a gift to be able to, to give them your heart every single day mm-hmm. in and out, mm-hmm. form them in the faith. And, 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 and then the other thing I'll say is I call like, I'm still best friends with my siblings. Um, I don't know if that would have happened awesome. if we had been in a different environment. So uh, our current plan, I mean, who knows, Francesca, our daughter might, you know, might outbox us and make us send her to a private <laughs> school. She's more energy than any child we've ever met. But 
our plan right now is to, is to homeschool and, and see if we can't hand that on to our children. Yeah, wow, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Praise God. Uh, do, uh, Ave Maria, you went to university yes. there. Um, now, this is a place, just to paint a picture for people who outside of America who don't know, um, am I right? This is a, a sort of a town, right? Is this into a, So there's a university that's built inside of a, a, Ave, a Maria, Ave Maria town, that's built around a church that's, uh, the idea is that it's like Catholic community, this concept of a Catholic community. Can you just unpack what is, I mean, Ava Media University, uh, I'm hearing all stories, you know, the founder of Domino's, is he the one involved that's founded this? And we hear all these stories from the other side of the world. What is Ava Maria University and the town it's in? So the this is probably going to be the most American sounding story to a non-American. <laughs> um there is this guy, Tom Monahan, who founded a pizza company, Domino's, you may have heard of it, made a ton of money. Um, Red C.S. Lewis was convicted and converted and ended up, and a lot of people don't know this, he ended up funding the catechism. So the catechism was actually wow. largely, if not entirely, funded by Tom Monahan from his pizza money. Um, and not satisfied with that because I think he, uh, he felt very convicted that, um, he needed to give away all his money, uh, before he died. He ended up starting, um, a law school, Ave Maria Law School and a university. And they, in 2007, the university was founded, um, and it is currently in, uh, Ave Maria, Florida. So a town named after the university. And the whole idea of it was to form an authentically Catholic university um, in the heart of the church, ex corde ecclesia. From the heart of the church, there would be a formation of students, formation of professors, and this would contribute to strengthening the church at a time that the church really needs to be strengthened. And uh, it's it started in 2007. Um, in 2008, there was the housing crisis in the United States. And unfortunately, the university had tied a lot of its financial plans to selling a lot of housing around the university. So there was some really dicey uh, times between 2007 and 2013. Um, so I went there from 2011 to 2015, um, near its early stages. And it was, it was an unbelievable education. Um, I was taught by so many professors, uh, that were just, you know, from Harvard, some were from MIT, just like Catholics who had left these prestigious institutions because they believed in the mission of Ave Maria. And so I remember my senior year, yeah, my senior year, I would study uh, Shakespeare and rehearse as Bottom and Midsummer Night's Dream, then go to my professor, professor's house to translate Aristotle in Greek then go to another classroom to translate Aquinas in Latin and study the metaphysics and then, you know, so on and so forth. So it was just like, it was unbelievably rich uh, and really vibrant. And then the beautiful thing is over the past couple of years, now that the housing crisis is, you know, is in the rear view mirror, every time I go back to the university, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of new homes being built every year. So, um, the community around it has really shot up and started thriving. Uh, and the university is, you know, has hopefully it's its brightest years ahead of it. 
Yeah, wow. How exciting. Well, I mean, just the concept, what one man can do. Uh, so so well, Tom Manahan is still with too, us, right? Any, any, that he is. His wife recently passed away, so you can say a prayer okay. for his wife. He yes. is uh, no spring chicken, so um, he, but he also still has, you know, just he's constantly going. You'll see him at fundraisers, and he's just, he's very alert and planning and, and making moves. So he's, <laughs> he's very much still affecting things. Um, and then I sort of Easter egg, if you ever do visit Ave Maria University and you go in front of the church, uh, you'll see a little tile in front of the church, uh, about probably 100, 200 feet in front of the doors, uh, where there's a little stone with a domino symbol right in the center of it. So it's sort of hilarious. And it, I think it's a, a testimony to um, to just American ingenuity that someone started a pizza company and ended up founding a university. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> what a story. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, yeah pray for him and love to get him on the show one day. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, now, you've graduated. You, you, now, you're, you have this opportunity now. Uh, apply your skills, your passion, your love, your desires. You, find, you found Mary Beggars, you, and you've, you've already touched on a bit how it all happened. Let's go dive straight into, I guess, now. Obviously, it's now uh, with um, Relevant Radio. Can you talk about then the first production you did uh, with Mary Beggars? Yeah. Um, so, well, actually, I'll walk back a, a step a little bit where when I graduated Ave Maria University, I, I actually was going to go into politics. I was not oh, thinking wow. I was going to go into theater or drama whatsoever. I had gotten this job at this um, political philosophy think tank, and I, I had provisionally accepted it. Um, and I felt... I did. It, it was super exciting, very prestigious, like really, you know, I would have an expense account. It would have been super fun, but I felt something in my heart, just not at peace with it. And I got, um, I got invited to teach a local school, uh, a Shakespeare class at a local school. And I said, you know, no, thank you. I already have a job, but they pushed me and said, okay, fine. I'll teach one class. And I taught one class and I fell madly in love with it. I fell madly in love with teaching young children and teaching high schoolers about Shakespeare, about teaching them about theater and about how beautiful stories and imagination and art can feed people's souls in a way that gives life that I had never seen happen in politics. And I, I remembered this one, one experience I saw um, where I had been at a political philosophy conference at Villanova university and we were, we were down in the basement floor talking about, you know, politics, this and building community and American society and all this different things. And I just felt so deeply alone. Like there was something in that, that it just felt like people were talking about abstractions. No one was actually encountering each other. It just felt really, really like existentially alone. Um, like everyone was sort of trying to impress each other. It wasn't, it wasn't really encountering. And then I went up to the, the campus level of the university and there was a funeral going on at the main church and i went into the church and the church was packed to the gills and it was a funeral for this really simple priest who hadn't been flashy he had you know produced like praise and worship albums so that handicapped people could sing and praise and worship and you know draw closer to christ and he had he had been sort of like a an, a social activist priest but it was so clear from the homily and from the people in the church that his life 
offered in that way had actually moved people's hearts. Like he had actually affected the culture. He actually had done something. And when I was weighing whether or not to do the political job or whether or not to um, work with high school students, that was the choice of like, am I in the basement talking about how society is falling apart or am I actually trying to have my hands in the dirt of culture and do the hard work of, of really affecting people's hearts and, and moving the culture, which is less fun. And there's not really an expense account with that. And you don't get to fly around and whatnot. But that was sort of my discernment of, am I, am I going to, am I going to lay down my life for others or am I going to um, pursue, you know, sort of a political career? And you can do that in politics, but for me, that, that just was not my calling. So that was another instance where God was just very, very evidently at work and helping direct my, my path. Fast forward, relevant radio, first production. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> no idea. I mean, I'm an actor, I'm a director, I'm a creative, um, zero idea. So we end up figuring out how we can record an audio production of A Christmas Carol uh, with live actors in the room. And I end up spending two and a half very intense weeks adapting Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol to 25 episodes so that you can listen to it like an audio advent calendar. And um, that was actually a tradition that my parents had given me. So it was sort of a homeschooling tradition. We would read one snippet from A Christmas Carol every day through Advent. Mm. And I thought, okay, this is great. I'll steal this idea from my parents and, and uh, <laughs> create this. So I, I adapted the script. Um, we cast a ton of actors. And then we arranged about 10 mics in a circle uh, with the mics facing outside and had all the actors gathered around in front of his or her own mic. Uh, and got a ton of soundproof blankets and turned the relevant radio executive conference room into a makeshift recording studio. Uh, and then we spent, I think it was two and a half or three and a half days of just recording nonstop with, I don't know, I think it was like 20 or 30 actors um, cycling in and out. And, um, and we somehow got it done. And the wow. day before we were recording, Ebenezer Scrooge dropped out. So we have found this actor on Actors Access, uh, which is this casting website. We have found this great Scrooge, cast him. And then the night before we started recording, he just said, I'm out. I'm not doing this project. Then he didn't contact us. It was his agent who told us, you know, my client is not going to be doing this project anymore. I don't know whether it was because he realized we were a Catholic organization. And he didn't, you know, he didn't want to be a part of relevant radio or whatnot. So we scrambled, we ended up pulling the actor that we had cast at Jacob Marley to play Ebenezer Scrooge. And we found a new actor to play Jacob Marley. Um, and both of them turned out to be just unbelievably good at both of those roles. Just like an amazing, amazing job casting it. Um, and, then, and then the other thing was where we really didn't know what we were doing. We were sound designing the next day's episode the day before. So we weren't like, you know, a week ahead or two weeks ahead. It, we were designing December 13th episode on December 12th and designing December <laughs> 14th episode on December. Like we were up against the wire every single day. Um, and for those of you who know audio and sound design, we we're using Adobe Audition and we had no idea how to 
set up proper sound design projects or files. So it got to the point where to edit one tiny thing in an episode, like a footstep or a sound or a cape, would the whole program would either crash or just take minutes and minutes and minutes to load. Um, and so those were early days of what we were doing, but we, we cut our teeth on A Christmas Carol and it's gotten hundreds and hundreds of thousands of downloads and, um, and we're excited to re-release it this year. So it's, it's really yeah, exciting. Wow. Now, was that released when you were saying you were doing it the day before, the next day it's going to air? Is that how quick you're talking about? Yeah. 24 hours? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so we were, we, it shouldn't have been that way, but we were, we were up against the wire. We were up yeah. against the wire. Oh, mate. Now, how, how long is each episode? So for Christmas Carol, we made them really short. They're about like 10 minutes each. Um, okay. So it's short enough that you can sit down with your family, listen to them, so on and so forth. Other shows we've done, like on the night train, the episodes range between 30 and 40 minutes. Um, yes. And then the Saint series right now, the episodes are averaging between 10 and 15 minutes. What we found is that families and audience members really like the shorter snippets. So they mm. like a 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 minute episode they can tune into every day. It becomes part of their habit on their run, on their commute, at dinner, bedtime, whatever. Um, the 30, 40 minute ones are a bit harder for people to commit to. So yeah, that's, that's what we found. So, yeah. so I love this concept now, this, this partnership, I guess, with Relevant Radio. For those who don't know, Relevant Radio is now, it's across America. Yeah. The, is it the largest Catholic network or one of the largest Catholic I radio so, networks? Yeah. Yeah, we're um, in range of I think I think we reached two hundred forty or two hundred sixty million people. We have over two hundred radio towers across the United States, so it's it's pretty wow. large. So we're talking twenty four hour, uh, seven days a week programming, Catholic programming. People yep. can tune in. Obviously, it's going to be different uh, if if you're tuning in on the on the analog. It's a different uh, channel for every different region, right? So you or, or is it is it like a, so, a national channel? It's a national channel. So that was, that was one of the things that has allowed Relevant Radio to grow is they moved away from doing local programming into national programming, which allows wow. us to have one stream that is going through all the radio towers, all the, all the stations across the entire country. And That's we awesome. have listeners around the world as well. Um, you can download the Relevant Radio app and just stream for free. That's what I like doing because in our area we're north of chicago um you don't get the best reception from the am towers so the app just always is crystal clear yeah great good so i'd like to put the links to all this uh we'll, we'll put the link to relevant radio's website in the descriptions uh for for people to to subscribe um also uh the head office is that in chicago where you are yeah, so they, um, they, Relevant Radio merged with Immaculate Heart Radio, which was a California radio network um, a, many years back. Uh, and they merged, so we had people in California, we had people in Green Bay, we had people across, across the country. Um, and as Relevant Radio has grown, they've consolidated and centralized everything into one location. And that location is um, Chicago, Illinois. Um, and this is another boon, another sort of moment of God's providence. There is no way Relevant Radio could afford a building large enough to house our operations. Like it would have cost minimum 14, 15, 16 million dollars to build uh, an office that could house what we needed. Um, COVID happened and <laughs> corporate real estate prices dropped like a rock. 
And the UAW, the United Auto Workers Union, uh, didn't want their headquarters anymore. And it's in Chicago. And so they sold a building that would cost probably about 14 to $16 million to build. They sold it for $4 million, pennies on the dollar. Relevant wow. Radio bought it and was able to retrofit it to have state-of-the-art broadcasting technology throughout the entire building. So we were able to buy it for around $4 million and then spend, uh, spend the money that we saved on making it state-of-the-art. Wow. Praise God. I have to come check it out next time I'm in the States. Yes, we have to be there next will. year. And, uh, how, how, many, how, how many staff members, just out of curiosity, how big is so this? That's the crazy thing. Um, so iHeartRadio, let me, I, I want to look up this. iHeartRadio, um, which is uh, a comparable, uh, they're, they're a larger uh, network, um, employees, number of, so they have iHeartRadio, <laughs> iHeartRadio in 2022, had 11,000 employees. Now, iHeartRadio is larger than relevant radio, guaranteed, you know, admittedly, but that sort of gives you the scale. That thousands and thousands of employees. Relevant radio has 70, seven zero. We're operating a national wow. radio network, and it's about as lean as you can be. And we're actually, we're, right now, as we record this in um, November, we're in the middle of a pledge drive. And one of the great ways that they've structured the finances in relevant radio is. The pledge drives, you know, normal talk radio, broadcast radio technique for raising money. We do it four times a year. That's our operating budget. All of the money, all the salaries, all that stuff comes from that operating budget. All of the extra money that Father Rocky and other people raise goes towards expansion and growth. So every single penny that is raised from, you know, major donors giving to relevant radios expansion and whatnot, that all goes towards buying new radio towers, buying new stations developing advertising all that stuff um and so relevant radio i think the other thing that's remarkable about it is a lot of catholic apostolates that i know like many nonprofits, are risk averse mm -hmm. they really really don't like taking risks they sort of try and play things really safe the mary beggars is a risk it still is today like it's a, it's a it's a big risk it's it's unorthodox programming not theologically but in terms of delivery like it's it's <laughs> uh, new, it's original yeah. it's unique um father rocky one of the reasons i love working with him is his appetite for risk is only matched by his ambition for what he wants relevant radio to accomplish and so he's willing to take risks and go out you know in duke altum go out into the deep and and risk things for christ and it's it's just it's a super there's a super exciting time to be part of relevant radio because they're growing, they're building. Um, and then I'm, I'm so grateful for that spirit of adventure that father Rocky has uh, because it's allowed something like the, the Mary beggars to find a home. there. Wow. Wow. What a great story. So um, Mary beggars is the um, entertainment arm of, of relevant yep. radio. And when, when are your episodes aired for those who want to tune in? So we do have a bit of an, uh, an international audience, but those in America say if, when when is it aired if people want to tune in live or when so they the, release the great thing about our programming is it's available whenever you want it it's our program is released primarily digitally so you can go to um our website the saintspodcast.com so that's just the saintspodcast.com and find all of our episodes there completely for free download i mean i think so far 
Um, we've done St. Patrick. We've done Joan of Arc. Uh, we've done Pierre Frassati, Francis of Assisi, Carlo Cudas, John Paul II, Benedict, Juan Diego. This week we're doing Katiri, and we have like 20 more, 23 more to go through next June. So if people want to listen to the episodes with all the actors and the sound effects and the music and the story, they can go to the saintspodcast.com. Um, and they'll also find there links to our other shows on the night train, a Christmas Carol, the quarantine plays, all of our other productions. We're going, we, we're not currently airing our shows on relevant radio. And there's a very, uh, there's a boring technical reason for that, which is our show length varies a little bit from like 10 minutes to 50 minutes and broadcast blocks oh, okay. are unforgiving. Uh, and so <laughs> we need to figure out a way to regularize that, to get that on a daily, a daily slot on the relevant radio network. We were airing on the night train every Sunday before, um, but we w- were so focused on just getting this amount of high quality content out there that we, we made the judgment call earlier this year of like, okay, Let's just focus on producing the best stories we can, uh, you know, getting a lot of episodes out there, and then we'll figure out how to get it on the network, you know, next year. Fantastic. Wow. So that's the website there. Now, you've named it after The Saints, which is your most recent series. Yes. So on The Night Train, people can uh, just very quickly, just a quick summary. The Night Train, 40-minute, 30 to 40-minute episodes. How many episodes are there? 21 episodes, 21, 21. And around that sort of time, that's a, that's, that's an amazing effort. (laughs) We recorded for six weeks, 10 hours a day with around 40 actors. It was, it was a heck of a summer. Wow. And, and, uh, and that story ultimately, it's not a, it's not necessarily, um, what would you say? It's a, it's something you've, you've written. Um, and what's it about? So it's, uh, it's, it's not a catechetical story. It's not, um, uh, you know, the saints is obviously intended to help strengthen and encourage people's faith. Um, a Christmas Carol, you know, there are a lot of Catholic themes in there. I would argue there are a lot of Christian themes, but it's, you wouldn't say that it's like a Catholic, you know, a, a story. He doesn't, he doesn't make an argument for the primacy of the Pope or anything. Um, on the night train, we wanted to write a story that, uh, that was in the best tradition of adventure, mystery adventure stories. And so, we we're developing different ideas. We wanted to find something that uh, that would really appeal to families, and so we landed on this story, which uh, follows two children, Edith and Paul Mallard, who accidentally end up on board their their dad's night train. It's called the night train, um, which is in the first ever transcontinental steam engine race across America in the 1880s. So these two trains, George Pullman's train and Webster Wagner's train are racing across America to try and be the first steam engine across America. Um, and you know, all the, all the awards and accolades that come with that. And Edith and Paul Mallard get sucked up right into the middle of it. Uh, and there's lots of sabotage and mystery and adventure, and they have to solve the mystery of who is sabotaging the night train and save the train. It's an awesome series. I could talk about it all day long. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope you'll check wow. it out. I think you'll like it. Awesome, awesome. I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard that one. I've heard of it. I haven't, I haven't got a chance to go through it. So, yeah, Super looking forward to that. But this, and we have, I this, have so gone the, for the Saints. That that's the one of the fun things that we did with On the Night Train. We went a little bit overboard. Is if you go to onthenighttrain.com, there's an interactive map where you can follow the journey of the train through each episode to sort of give you oh, a wow. visual of each of the train going across America. And then for kids, we also created 
little um, cards for each of the main characters where the kid, you know, the family and the kids can meet the characters, the characters introduce themselves to the children. And there's like a little bio on each main character and stuff like that. So we tried oh, wow. really hard to make it like an immersive uh, experience for our audience. That's all, and that's on the, on the, on the night train website. Yes. Yeah. 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 Now, are these all linked, by the way? So, I mean, I'm going to put yes. all these links so if in. You but... go to, if you go to the saintspodcast.com, that'll take you to our main website, themarybagots.com, and you can explore from there. Fantastic. Well, as we, as we end on this, this, this current one, uh, the Saints, you've, I've, I'm listening to them in order. So we've completed St. Patrick, and uh, you've got all these other Saints, and I can't wait. I think it's a great series, and, and anyone can use it. Uh, and get to know. Are you going to do the similar thing? I, I can just see from this uh, your different characters, like um, of the saints. Uh, any imagery that you might do? Are you thinking of? I guess really um, getting as much out of this as possible, because uh, you know I, I can see this becoming a lifelong journey. Yeah. So currently, our so there there are a couple things that we're doing. One is we're developing part of our website right now, actually that is going to allow people to not only listen to the episode sequentially of the saints, but actually find saints very, very easily. So they'll be able to go to our website and go through all of the saints as little collections. And you'll be able to find, right. uh, you know, Kateri Takakawitha uh, or Juan Diego or John Bosco or whatever. So it's, it's not going to be, um, we're designing these series so that families can come back and listen to them years from now, decades from mm. now, so on and so forth. And right. so we're trying to design the website to make it really easy for families to discover the saints that they want to listen to, whether that episode was published last week or you know a year ago or five years ago. The other thing we're doing is developing educational materials. So for each saint, we're gonna be having um, discussion questions, word searches, coloring pages, all of these different Fantastic. materials that families can print down uh, totally for free and use them in homeschooling and schools to help kids engage with the material a little bit more deeply. And then in terms of the future, I mean, yeah, I have a million ideas. And then the problem is how do you actually pick the one or two ideas that you should execute on right now? So there are a lot of ideas I have, um, but for right now, all we're focused on is getting this initial batch of saints out um, and then, uh, God willing, uh, we'll be able to succeed wildly, have it be financially sustainable, and then in fall 2024, continue telling a lot of these stories. One of the things that's uh, beautiful about the saints is none of them, uh, I forget who said this. I really should look up the source of this, but there's a quote I heard recently, holiness is a secret between you and God, which means the way that Charbel is holy it might have some similar basic foundational principles to how Peter is going to be holy, but day to day, like it is going to be unique to you, unique to me. The way mm. that Joan of Arc was holy is very different from the way St. Patrick was holy, which is very different mm. from the way Benedict of Nursia was, is, uh, you know, is holy, which is very different from the way Juan Diego and Kateri and Ignatius of Loyola. So as a producer, I love that because it means that every week when we're telling a story, it's not the same structure, you know, it's not, it's not the same story just with different names and voices. They really are completely different stories. Every single one of them has the same protagonist, which is God 
encountering these people's lives and and you know lighting them on fire but the way that that happens is is really different I'll give you a quick example Joan of Arc hears these voices of St. Margaret, St. Mar- uh, Catherine, and uh, St. Michael. She starts being formed in the faith through her relationship with them. And at the end, she has to defy her father who wants to stop her leading the armies. And she has to, you know, go and obey her heavenly father when her earthly father is trying to, you know, suppress her vocation, which is, a you know, a story that a lot of people who pursue their vocations have. Uh, contrast that uh, and then she ends up going you know putting on armor cutting her hair leading the French armies and uh, just you know saving France contrast that with um, Bernadette of Lourdes who uh, is silent is quiet is humble she also you know resists her family in in a little bit uh, because they didn't want her pursuing catechism so passionately but she, the way that she pursues holiness is radically different from the way that Joan of Arc does. She doesn't ever see, uh, seek to become, you know, a well-known visionary. She's not a preacher. She's a humble, simple girl who loves Our Lady, loves the Immaculate Conception. And um, at the end of the series, it ends with her, which is a direct quote from her. I forget exactly what it is, but it's something like, I am a pencil in the hand of the Lord who can discard me when, when he pleases. And the rest of her life, she lived in obscurity and she didn't go on and do a ton of different things. Like her holiness is unique to her. And so looking towards the future, my hope is just that we never, we never get lazy with the stories of the saints. I think it's really easy when you're doing something like this, Catholic parents who are listening to this are probably not going to listen to it or, or, or sorry, are probably going to listen to it whether or not they're produced in an extremely high level or not. Yeah, I think it's really easy when you're producing Catholic or Christian content to get lazy because your audience is going to listen to it, not necessarily because your content is so good, but because the culture is so bad. And <laughs> I, 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 I really hope that we never let ourselves get lazy and let the scales fall over our eyes because if we have eyes to see the stories of the saints are some of the most incredible original and unique stories that have ever happened in human history so if we do our job well then the net every single week is a new adventure is an original adventure and so in fall 2024 hopefully we'll be coming back with lots of beautiful original exciting adventures then Love it. Love it. How exciting. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, I do want to leave you with a final thought and ask you to, to share your final thought. But just finally, the website again for those who want to know more and get in touch yeah. and listen to all this. So you can go, the easiest URL to remember is thesaintspodcast.com. So you can just go to thesaintspodcast.com. That'll take you to our main website uh, and you can listen and uh, enjoy from there. Wow. Oh, and I guess the other thing free. too is 100% free. Everything is 100% for free. Freely wow. you've received, freely you shall give. Uh, that's sort of our philosophy around all of this. And you can give us your email and then you'll receive the episodes every single day. You'll get a little email with our, the artwork. You click, you listen, and it's the easiest way to just make sure you don't miss an episode. Awesome. I highly, highly recommend everyone get on now. Now, you, uh, as a producer, as a, as a story writer, you are basically a storyteller. Um, 
hearing your story now and sharing your own story about how to create stories uh, as a creative. And then there's so many people out there, I think, uh, wanting to do something, you know, with their creative skills for the faith and not knowing where to begin or not, not knowing how to start. Um, and you've got a very uh, inspiring story. But what, what sort of advice do you give for all those aspiring creatives out there and storytellers in whatever genre? I mean, they, uh, people who are animators, people who are designers, uh, people who are videographers, all, all sort of levels that are Catholic and wanting to evangelize this culture. Um, you've touched on the quality, the importance of the quality. But uh, just uh, some final, I guess, words of wisdom from yourself, a man who's uh, travelled the road before. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of things I could say. The, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, the first things that comes to mind is just take action. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, a lot of people talk a big game, and that's really fun to do. I do that sometimes. But ultimately, the difference between the difference between someone who actually makes it and someone who doesn't is whether or not they take action. And and the other thing too is when you work with the best artists. So when you're working on Broadway or you're working with people who have just been at the the top of the game, there's one thing that I I keep on noticing again and again and again, which is the best artists love their craft they're Mm. not in it to they're not even in it for the impact that their work will have they're not even in it to you know affect the culture necessarily or or change the world they're in it because they love the craft of what they're doing so a good example is uh one of our writers is an oscar nominated director and i was intimidated um he'll know who he is when he hears this but I was intimidated when I started working with him because I was like, oh, Oscar nomination, that's big. He is the most down-to-earth, quirky, normal dude I've ever worked with. And the one thing I love about him is he's just – it's so clear he has an evident love of the craft, of writing, of directing, of storytelling and whatnot. And the way, whether you know you do that, whether you you have that or not, is just to get going, to start making, to start creating. So if you want to be a writer, there's a very simple process, write. If you want to be a director, find something to direct. If you want to be a sound designer, start doing sound design. We live in the age of the internet. You can find how to do any of those things using Google. Now you can use AI and get it to teach you even more thoroughly. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, there's in some sense, I'm just repeating the Nike slogan, just do it. Um, but that's been true in my life. I mean, the other thing I'll say is you don't know where the path is going to lead. So I never in a million years thought that my career so far anyways, would be producing radio theater. Like that was the farthest thing from my mind. The only thing I knew was that I was following one step after another, after another, after another, after another. And then Mm. at the end, you look back and you say, oh, that's where this was leading to. But when you're in the middle of it, all you can do is take the opportunity in front of you and make the absolute most of it that you can. Um, When I was producing the first radio plays uh, with the Merry Beggars, I didn't know it would lead to anything. I just knew that I was 
passionate about creating something that moved me. And if you as an artist or as a creative have that spark that makes you passionate about quality, then you need to follow that. And, and the only way that that gets trained is by actually doing one, two, two other thoughts. Cause this is something that I think about a lot. Um, yeah. One is structure. If you're a writer, I don't believe in writer's block because I've found that if you give someone a paycheck and a deadline, writer's block somehow always evaporates. The thing <laughs> that helps you get rid of it is focusing on the structure, which is the craft. So if you're a writer, you need to know the structure of writing. You need to know how you need to know that if you're writing a story, you need a character that has an objective, that objective has an obstacle in between the character and the objective. And the, uh, the character navigates that obstacle by using tactics to get around that obstacle. That's all a story is, is it someone wanting to get somewhere who gets stopped. And then the story is how they get around whatever that thing is stopping them. Okay. It's not more complicated than that. Now there are a lot of layers to it and there are a lot of ways you can play with that. But if you have that structure in mind, then when you're stuck on a Tuesday night thinking, oh, you know, I just, I'm not inspired anymore. I don't know what to do. You can say, okay, well, I know, is the objective really clear with my main character? If it's not great, I'm going to do some research into the historical grounding of my story. And then they'll be able to get some juices flowing about, well, what could possible objectives be? Or what could possible obstacles be? And so for me as a producer, the most valuable tool I've ever learned is like the structure of writing and how to use that to shape story. Um, that, that's, that's been one invaluable thing. But that applies to any craft, right? If you're a musician, you need to, to know chord structure. You need to know the structure of scales. You need to know how to string things together and, and um, in dissonance to be able to bring tension and harmony. I'm not a musician, if you can tell. So, like, <laughs> But there, there, there's a similar craft. I know with acting, it, there's a craft to it. If you are relying on – yeah, this is like a whole other podcast. But if you're That's relying right. we'll on your – That's right. We'll have to do 2.0. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. If you, but if you're relying on your own sort of momentary emotions to create a work of art, you will always fail because you're a human mm. being. Your emotions are unstable. If you look back at the great traditions in, in art, they were never this, – this really comes from a 20th you know, or 19, 19th century romanticism, which says that art is really the expression of internal emotional states. But really, if you look back at the history of any quality art tradition, it's always about craft. And it's always about knowing how to use craft to create a work of art. And then when moments of inspiration come, those channels have already been carved by craft so that inspiration can flow and create something great because you already have iambic pentameter so deeply ingrained in your mind that that flows. But it, it doesn't work to just rely on inspiration. And then the last piece of advice I'll give to any artist or any creative is get feedback. Get feedback early and often and mm. constantly. You don't know if what you're making is good or bad. And any time that someone criticizes something that I've made, I have two reactions. One is how dare you? You don't know what you're talking about. What I've created is beautiful and wonderful. And then the second reaction is, oh, shoot, they're right. Because <laughs> you, you need that constant piece of feedback. 
feedback is feedback. People are going to react to your stuff, your work in tons of different ways. Some of the same stories that I absolutely love our audience sometimes, or some, some members in our audience says, well, you know, I didn't really like this one. Some of our Saint series that I was like, oof, this is sort of a weaker one. I've had like three or four people come up to me and say, this one was my absolute favorite. So you're never going to, you know, you're never going to be able to please everyone. And that's not necessarily the point, but it's yeah. so important to just constantly get feedback on your work. If, if you want to be an artist, if you want to be a creative, do it, start moving, develop your craft and start bringing your work into, um, start bringing your work to other people to get feedback. It's so invaluable as an artist. Praise God. Thank you so much. That was great. Um, excellent work. Well, we're out of time. I wish we can keep going, but we're going to have to wrap it up there. But uh, love to have you on again. And, and, and just I'm, I'm, I'm praying for your work. I mean, you're still a young man, and uh, <laughs> I'm excited for you've done so much already, and I'm excited uh, what is in store for you in the future. You know, what, what, what are the next 20, 30 years in store for you? And uh, I'm just praying God continues to bless you the way he has so far and keep going. It, it's going to have an impact on our culture. We desperately need it. Well, you've got nine children to entertain, and my mission is to make your job of parenting as, as easy as possible. So, I, I mean, the way that I think about our work is our mission is to support the most important work that people are doing, which is raising families. So if our work, if our shows can help parents um, make it a little bit easier for parents to raise children who love God, who are excited about their faith, and who jump into life with courage and adventure and, and boldness – then that'll be that'll be a life well lived. Praise God. Well said. Thanks again. Well, Peter Atkinson, thank you so much. God bless you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Shabal. Yeah, thanks, everyone. I hope you uh, enjoyed that podcast. Uh, my name is Shabal Raish, and until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.